Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to Season 7 of the Firetime Podcast. Man, I was thinking about this as I was getting ready for the show, and this, this kind of happens to me every year around September when we come out with a new season. I, I just think back to what we've been able to accomplish through the podcast and, and how my life has changed. It, it's crazy. You know, when the podcast started three years ago in September of 2018, I was in a lot different spot, and there's so much life that's changed, and I will say one of the defining moments of my life has been starting this podcast. It's profoundly changed me, and my hope is that it's changed you too. I think what I have seen over the last three years as we've been putting out episodes is that there is a community that's hungry to get better, and there's a community that wants to share. I was in the Midwest a little while ago, and I was talking to somebody after the Mid-States HPBA conference. And he was talking about like, what we we do want to share our information. Like we're always looking for a way to get better. There just there hasn't been a way until now. So that, that's really cool to hear that 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 this podcast is providing a kind of a highway that we can use to 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 connect each other and share the best practices so that we can run better businesses. And you know, thinking about the podcast and then the launching of the Firetime Network and the Firetime Magazine, it's been an absolute honor to be able to host this show for you and and I feel a burden to make sure that I represent the people, right? I feel like my job is to represent you and it's absolutely incredible for me. Now, this season, we are going to jump into a couple things and I'm really excited to talk to you about this. First off, the way that this season is going to work at the beginning of it is me and Grant are going to do a series of episodes on a 10-step execution process to run the perfect job from start to finish. I'm going to go into details on that in just a second. But then on the back end of the season, we're going to be interviewing the rest of the team that contributes to the Firetime Magazine, and I've got some other miscellaneous guests that I really want you to get to know. Now, when we talk about the beginning of this season and this 10-step execution process, this is a really big deal. And in a second, when I play the conversation with me and Grant, you're going to get to hear where this came from. But at the heart of it, very often our companies make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And we can talk about what those are, where, you know, we were missing a piece of vent pipe on the job or, you know, oh, when we looked at the installation, we, we thought we wrote up the accurate notes of what we were going to do, but we missed this. And now the customer's really upset. We've all had situations where a job goes south and it can happen for a variety of reasons. It could happen because it got messed up with the salesperson on the floor at the very beginning. It could happen because partway through the job when we scheduled it, there was a miscommunication over how many trips it was going to be. This could happen at the end of the job when the installation team gets there. But at some point on this job that went bad, there was there was a defining moment that started it going poorly and it never recovered. Well, for many companies, they find that they make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And it might be at a different part of the installation process, but once you've got that one mistake, it's very, very difficult to recover. And that's why we need an execution process. And this is going to be analogous to the Olympics that just got done here, that when you're watching the relay race, you got to pass that baton. And if that baton gets dropped, it doesn't matter what else happens. And it's, it's largely the same with our jobs. The customer could have the best experience in the showroom. The scheduling could be incredible. The product comes in on time, but the installers show up at the house and they get mud on the carpets. We're done. It doesn't matter what happened in the showroom, right? Now, vice versa, we could have a terrible process in the showroom where expectations aren't properly set and the customer thinks that they're getting things that they're not or that something different will happen on the installation than what is actually going to happen. And when the installers get out to the house, you could have the best installers in the world, but because the expectations weren't properly set, 
things are bad. So what we want to do is talk about an execution process because if we've got a process that we want to follow every single time for every single job, now when something goes wrong, we can point to the process and say, okay, which step was it where things got messed up? And now because we have a framework to look at, we can identify where it went wrong and do something about it. Grant calls this solving problems permanently. We're going to talk about that in the conversation. But I think about when when I taught this last, it was in Breckenridge, Colorado, and it was for the Rocky Mountain HPBA. It was just a few weeks ago. And when I went to go teach this, I, I had this as a joke up on my, my PowerPoint, and it's doing the same thing and expecting a different result is insanity. And the 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 person that I attributed that quotation to is every PowerPoint presentation ever given. And, you know, actually it's an Einstein quote and he said doing the same thing and expecting a different result is insanity, but that's not the entire quote. My understanding of it, Tim Rathlick told me this, is that he basically said doing the same thing in a controlled environment, you know, over and over again the same way and expecting a, good, a different result is insanity. And, you know, our installations are not in a controlled environment. But I will say there is something to the fact that, if we keep wondering why there's missing pipe on a job site, like, hey, we've been doing this for 30 years. Like, we should probably figure out a different way to do this. And the execution process lets us do that. So for the next few episodes, you're going to hear us going through 10 steps to run a job perfectly from start to finish. Now, when I say 10 steps to run the job perfectly, it doesn't mean that every job is going to go perfect, but it means that this process is sound. And by having a sound process, again, this is Einstein's controlled environment. By having a sound process, we know in theory that this is the way it should go. And as we have this set up as a goal or as a target, as a North Star for our team, it's amazing how everything bends to it. Now, when something does go wrong, you'll be able to point to the process and say, oh, you know what? The problem with this was step two. It was on our job walk. We didn't actually take these notes clearly. So by the time it got to step eight, which is our installation, it got muddy. We didn't know what to do. Okay, perfect. Now we can do something about it. When we just are running around in chaos and we have no bearing of, of what direction we're going, all we can do is point fingers at each other and wonder why things don't get better. So with that, we're going to be going over a 10-step execution process, and I am actually going to save those steps for the conversation because for the first part of this conversation with Grant, we talk about the 10 steps at a high level, and then in the second half of the conversation, we hit step one, which is in the showroom really, really hard. So like I said before, it's an honor to host this podcast. I cannot wait for you to hear what we have this season. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Grant Falco. Joining me once again from Spokane, Washington is Grant Falco. Man, I don't even know where to start. Co-owner of Falco's, uh, chairman of the board for the Firetime Magazine, <laughs> entrepreneur extraordinaire. Welcome back, man. How you doing? Tim, it's good to be back, man. I'm excited about these, uh, these next few podcasts. Yeah, me too. You know, the execution process we're going to jump into here is a is a big deal, and this is something that I want to I want to back up and kind of talk today about kind of how we stumbled upon codifying it together, sure. and then and then kind of talk about why it's so important overall. So I'm thinking about when this all got put together. We were back on the East Coast, and we were working with some dealers out there, and we realized that when we went to go and see dealers, a lot of the time we were talking about these different parts of the process and it kind of hit us that like even though in your business you run this holistically, we had never worked holistically with a business on the entire process all at once, right? Yeah, no, exactly right. I mean, it seemed like we'd maybe work on the first part of the 10-step execution in some businesses. And then maybe in some other businesses, the weaknesses were the later part of the hearth execution. And I think it was amazing kind of when it came to a head where we had been at multiple dealers, we had kind of worked through all the different stages with all those different dealers at different times. And yeah, when we were on the East Coast this last year, it just, uh, it all came into the perspective of the 10 step execution process, which I just think, you know, like you said, holistically Falcos has always 
kind that's that's what we've done but at the same time we've never put in it pen to paper and i can't tell you how much actually seeing it and setting up expectations with it how much it helps even a, a company that's doing it yeah. run their business a little bit more efficiently Oh, yes. Tremendous. I mean, just that documentation. I just got back from a trip out to the Midwest. And one of the things that we talked about is when it comes to we were talking about sales training and things like that. But you have to document what you do that if you don't if you don't document it, you have to reinvent the wheel every time. And without documenting it, you can't look at it and analyze it. So as we jump into this to talk about the 10 step execution process, we're going to talk about how to run a perfect job starting all the way at the beginning when the customer walks into the showroom to the completion of the job with the thank you note and asking for a referral after the entire thing is completed. But when we go through this grant, I think that a lot of people might be tempted to say, hey, come on, I do most of this stuff already. And the truth is that people might do most of it, but I love your analogy here. It's not about doing most of it most of the time it's about doing all of it all the time and you talk a lot about like it's like the relay race passing the baton right like it doesn't matter if the third runner passes the baton perfectly to the fourth because if the first runner dropped it before then well then the race doesn't count the the analogy is just so perfect uh we're fighting a lot of obstacles in business today and i think you know culture and morale is one of those huge obstacles And if people don't know what's expected of them and others don't know how certain people are to pass certain things on, it becomes confusing. It becomes difficult and things get neglected and your morale and your culture drop off. That's just one effect of this, but it's, it's amazing how impactful people knowing what is expected of them and how they're supposed to hand it off and that handoff being successful. If you, if you get that thing figured out, you have happier people, happier customers and a more effective business. The thing that I think about is like, I go back to my early journey at Falco's and then our early journey at at the Firetime Network and and just working through what do leaders expect and what do you expect out of your employees? And I've told the story on a few different podcasts of you kind of giving me some perspective on, well, if, if they don't know what you expect, then how are they going to meet your expectations? And this is laying out your expectations and gives you the ability to hold those expectations accountable, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of people are going to struggle with similar issues. And I want to read some of these off. So if if your company struggles with this, like the execution process is the answer straight up, right? Okay. First, first mistake that a company might struggle with, we didn't order enough vent pipe. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, that what that happens all the time to companies, right? Oh, all the time. How about this? It was missing a part. We needed a conversion kit. You know, the installers get out to the job site. Oh, the customer thought the remote was included. So I, we didn't know what to do. So we didn't collect payment. We, hey, we just, we just missed this when we looked it over. So, I mean, I, I think like I've struggled with these things, right? I mean, I mean, companies have there that that that's not to say that every job goes perfectly but i would say very often if one of these issues is systemic in your company like on a regular basis why don't we order enough vent pipe why are we always taking stuff out to the job when it's missing a part those problems can be fixed yeah and it's not easy there's no secret sauce to it. It just comes down to a consistent accountability and everybody understanding what's expected of them. And it's crazy, Tim, because think about it. You can do a perfect job for nine of the 10 steps and still fail. You have to do it from start to finish. And that's how jo- hard our job is. I think my wife's pregnant right now. And I think about, I go, we go through all these ultrasounds and I'm like, this is amazing. This is our fourth child. And, and I'm, I'm still as amazed today as I, I was when I first went through this journey. How many things have to come together to make that perfect child? I mean, it's amazing to go through that experience. And yeah, like, that installation is our perfect child. And there are so many things that need to go into it that as a business, you have to hold accountable and you have to, to, to know or to lay out what is expected on each one of those steps. Tim, as we've been into businesses and experienced our own business, those problems are not going to ever be 100% eliminated. But unless you have a process like this, you'll never eliminate them because you have nothing to go back and check. Yeah. And that's the power of this execution is it gets better and better as you execute it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's the whole idea where if you are driving somewhere without a map 
and you get lost and you're running low on gas and someone's like, hey, um, where are you trying to go? And you say, well, I'm not sure, but we're making great time. I mean, like, well, because you don't have a map, I mean, like, okay, you're making great time. I don't know where you're going. And I, I do know that the fuel tank's running out, but like, good for you. You're making great time. And, and, and this is kind of the same thing. Like you said, when we have a, a process in place or a framework, we can actually analyze it. Whereas when we don't have that, like all you can hope is you make good time. That's exactly right. I mean, mistakes are okay, but repeated mistakes aren't. And unless you have some type of framework, you won't ever be able to expose those repeated mistakes. Well, Grant, let's do this. So I want I want you to kind of lay out for us the 10 steps. I think we should maybe at a high level, let's talk about all 10 steps. And then in the rest of this episode, let's drill down and focus on step one. Do you want to just start at the beginning of kind of where this process goes? Like when we take a job from the showroom all the way to the the completed installation, finishing up with like a thank you card and, and asking for a review or a referral. Yeah. What are the steps it takes to get there? Step one is pretty obvious. It's in the showroom. And uh, what you're trying to do in the showroom is solve the problem that the customer has. You're not selling them a product. And, you know, we'll kind of get into that as we dive into each one. But the other objective is to lay out a plan and give them the next step and pass that baton to the person that's going to be doing what is step two, the in-home job walk. So really quick, Grant, I I love what you just said. So in the showroom, there's a lot that needs to happen, but solve the problem and give the customer a plan. Like think about how clear that is. I just I want I want to highlight how good that is. Okay, now we move on to step 2. And and when you're when you're giving them a plan and you're handing this off to step 2. I mean, it's intricate. It's so important that the salesperson, sales specialist gather the story and and pass that story along. If you're solving the the customer's problem with the product that you're selling them, you better dang well make sure that that estimator is verifying that that product is going to solve a problem or is going to solve the problem that the consumer is having. That estimator, the in-home job walk person, has the ability to do that because if you're selling them a huge uh, secondary combustion wood stove and they've got a tiny room opened up into the rest of the home, your estimator has to be equipped to say, that's not the right solution for what you're looking for. There are other options. We don't want to just blindly quote it because that's what the customer wants and bigger is better. The second part of the job walk that's just absolutely vital is giving a number, giving a quote and and having it be a fixed quote. So step two is basically the in-home job walk and the estimate. Now, as you transition from step two to step three, we've got to hand that baton off successfully. There's a, there's a couple different ways we can do it, but the way Falco's chooses to do it is through an email, CCing the uh, salesperson, and salesperson then set to follow up with that consumer. It's kind of a handoff. So Grant, so the estimator, after making sure it's going to solve the problem and then finalizing the quote, they now pass the baton back to the salesperson. And now it's the salesperson's job to take that baton and follow up. Yeah. Because they're the liaison to the customer, That's right? exactly right. Liaison to the customer. That's the best way to put it. They are in the store all the time, available to the customer all the time. I know there's a lot of different businesses that do it differently. And there's pros and cons to all of them. I have questioned this way, but have found even as we go around, Tim, that this seems to be the best way for the consumer. Having one or two in-home job walkers specifically doing those estimates and quotes uh, and and your sales team staying in the store and being inside salespeople to uh, be the liaison constantly to the customer. And they have to know what the job is. And that's why that transition from step two, the in-home job walk and final estimate to step three in the sales follow-up, that salesperson needs to take that seriously and understand that job fully in order to review that with the customer and make sure the customer is fully understanding exactly what we're quoting them. So the salesperson gets back involved to compile the estimator's notes and to review things with the customer. They've they've now asserted themselves back in place as the primary contact. And now we move to step four, which is scheduling the installation. Yeah. So a lot of people will wait for product to be uh, in stock before we schedule the installations. And Tim and you and I both agree that that's not the way to do it. In order to schedule... Uh, in, in order to order correctly and get products here for the consumer, the scheduling needs to happen as soon as the customer puts a deposit down. It locks them down, it gives them a target to aim at, and it gives your purchasing a, t- a target to aim at. So after step four, it would go to purchasing. Purchasing now knows, hey, 
This is a four. This is four weeks away. We we get the product ordered. We estimate. Oh, it's two weeks. We should be good. If it's four weeks or five weeks, we obviously know that has to go back to scheduling to push the installation. Now, from purchasing to step six, which is receiving and staging. Once the product has been purchased and there's an installation date, you basically have a schedule that let's say average, you know, dealer is going to be out eight, 12 weeks right now. And, and given the time is probably a lot more. How do you receive that product to step six? How do you receive that product and stage as you get closer to the install to help double check and triple check that you have all the inventory, not just one check, not just two checks, multiple checks. When the product comes in, where is it going and what is its intentions? With staging, we'll talk a little bit about yellow zone and red zone, which is two weeks from installation. There's some certain protocol you can follow that will really help you uh, keep your customers happy and keep the jobs on the schedule that are going to go. Moving on from staging and receiving what we really believe in step six that is so important. It's kind of the final check to manage the expectation of the consumer before the installation is step seven, which is the confirmation call. Just real quick, the confirmation call should be scripted out. It should be done the same way at the same time, as consistent as possible. Uh, It's important that the salesperson reviews on the sales follow-up and that we also do a confirmation before the job just to make sure we're all on the same page. Moving on to the action, the installation, step eight. Um, Step eight is basically the action of putting an install. And what's really cool is this is universally used. So like you can do the same process for will call at this point, the same process for deliveries at this point. But, you know, for argument's sake, the most important thing we do is probably install. So agreed. step eight is installation. One of the things that we'll go over on the installation is not just the installation, it's how you're managing that expectation with the consumer when you get to the installation. How are you building points as you approach the home and and execute that installation? Yeah. Step nine is just turn in your paperwork. And and you know, Tim, it's crazy. That is probably a whole segment on its own in reality because that is the most important part of this whole puzzle. You can do all eight steps perfectly. And if you're not documenting and and getting the proper information on the paperwork as you're turning in, oh man, how many times are we going to ask questions to this person, this person? Do we have this in stock? Did we bring this back? If we're not completing our, our, our paperwork and completing the cycle, Everything we've did is almost for nothing. Yeah. And the last thing, step 10, is the simple thank you and asking for review. And that is a, a part of our most of our businesses that we don't give enough time to yeah. and uh, probably is one of the more important things. So there's the 10 steps. What I love about this, Grant, so like you think about this whole thing and it gets pretty granular, right? Like so step one, in the showroom. Step two, job walk and final estimate. Step three, salesperson follows up. Step four, schedule the install. Step five, purchase the product. Step six, receiving and staging in the warehouse. Step seven, confirmation call. Step eight, installation. Step nine, turn in the installation paperwork. And then step 10, thank you and review. And that is very granular, but now we got a magnifying glass. When something breaks down, we know where it was. We say, oh, okay, it broke down here because we messed something up on the job walk. Okay, how are we going to change that next time because it's a link in a chain? Okay, hey, you know what? This got messed up because we didn't actually make a confirmation call on this one. So there was a disconnect over who was going to be on site with payment. We're going to jump into all that in the coming episodes. But for the rest of today, I want to dive headfirst into step one in the showroom. We'll get back to our conversation with Grant Falco in just one minute. Hey, if you're listening to this and thinking, man, this 10-step execution process would absolutely transform my business if I could just make sure that I was doing it every single time. Man, if if that is you listening to this, I am so excited to tell you about the Firetime Workshop. So as Grant and I have been traveling the country on our Blitz trips, working with companies, the difficulty with it is that there's only so much time. We generally only do three to four of these a year because we're busy and we run our own businesses. And second of all, it's expensive. Not everybody can afford to have us come out. So we wanted to have a way to give you the impact of a Blitz trip 
for less money with other dealers. And that's going to be the Firetime Workshop, a workshop to help you move past the chaos and take control of your company. Now, we have two workshops coming up, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. And we're talking about 2022. So the West Coast workshops are going to be May 1st through 3rd in 2022. The East Coast workshops are May 8th through 10th. But if you want to come in for two and a half days and work with other like-minded business leaders and hear from me and Grant in detail about this 10-step execution process and even more, you have got to sign up. So one thing that I'll tell you is that this execution process is the tip of the iceberg. In addition to this, there are going to be seven modules we present of how to look at your company holistically, starting with your own personal growth, the way that you set vision and goals for your company, and that's going to move through everything else you do, through sales, through installation, through warehouse, and at the end of it, we are actually going to give you a heartbeat report that you can use to run your company day in and day out. If you feel like you're sick and tired of banging your head against the wall for the last 20 years, and you want to take control and start to execute, you have got to come to the Firetime Workshop. To do that, go to the website itsfiretime.com slash workshop and sign up today. That's itsfiretime.com slash workshop. We can't wait to see you there. The primary problem with what we do in the showroom is that in general, we, and I say we because I have been this person before, we are information givers and not problem solvers. Oh, I can't, I totally, uh, I've been, uh, you know, I don't know at what point or what book or podcast it clicked with me, but you know, you hear the cliches out there that, you know, we sell solutions, not products. And it's never really resonated with me until maybe the last three or four years. And it like totally resonates with me. When you think about the sales process, that is what we're trying to do. You're trying to manage their expectations by finding out why they're in there. And there's a problem. So like it might be a drafty fireplace. It might be an ugly fireplace. It might be a blank wall. It might be that they want better steaks. Like, cause we sell rubs. Like every product that we sell is a solution to the problem. And I think as a salesperson, if you approach it that way, you're asking different questions. You're, you're figuring out what the right thing is for them. And uh, we've got many examples that we can review, but yeah, solving the problem is what it's all about. And then as you go through the journey, verifying that that solution is actually the right thing in the home. Yeah. You know, I was, I was literally in Ohio just yesterday working with a company out there. We were going through the sales process and, and I was using your mantra saying like, look, we do not sell products. We sell solutions. And there's a major difference between the two. And when a customer comes in the showroom, they've got a problem. Now I've heard people say, well, you know, people buy for two reasons to avoid pain or achieve gain. And I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I do know is no one walks into a fireplace store unless they have a problem. Like, no one does. Yep. It's just, it's too obscure of a thing. No one walks in unless they have a problem. Nope. And just like you said, the problem can be a variety of things, but as a salesperson, your job is not to show them a product or to make a great pitch on your new barbecue or wood stove or whatever it is. Your job is to identify their problem and then give them a path to solving it. Okay, so you know you you can listen to past episodes about how to identify the customer's problem through the sales process, but but we just got to remember like that's our primary goal is uncover their problem. Once you start to take on this approach with yourself and your sales team, you start to understand that there's some continual problems. That not it's not just a one problem per customer. You know, I think of like how we sell gas fireplaces and ProFlame 2 and the pilot on demand system are also called IPI. There's two, two factors that need to be discussed with every customer. And why we discuss those is because they're solutions to the customer's existing problems. The first one is the customer, if they've had experience with the gas fireplace, they turn it on. They don't know they control the valve at the system. The flame's too high. 15 minutes later, because it's in the living room, it's too hot. 
That's a lot of customers' experience with fireplaces. So you talk about the comfort control on the ProFlame 2 system and how the burner modulates up and down and never overheats you. Yeah. Because that is a problem that yeah. that fireplace solves. The second thing is, is, and we never talk about this, and the reason we call it Pilot On Demand is simply because you can turn the pilot on from the remote. I guarantee you there's tons of salespeople right now listening to this. If you don't talk about that with your consumer, you're missing out dude, on a huge dude. opportunity because the next person's not going to. And the last thing that consumer wants to do is go down there and turn on the pilot on a standing pilot system. I'm so glad you're saying this because the truth is you just talked about how you can turn the pilot light on from the remote. And and I'm telling you, man, like that's a reason that people buy a fireplace. Oh, five different decorative fronts. And like, we got this great looking burner. Great. They're not buying it. It's, it's all, all secondary. It's all That's secondary. All secondary to the pr- I mean, and the solution goes so much so much further. I'll give you one more example. We can kind of keep going. But, you know, I have uh, sales staff. We have, we have inventory. We're one of the few dealers that has a good amount of inventory. But, you know, as you're selling product and narrowing down inventory, it's, it's vital for our sales team to understand everything we have in stock. A customer was in the store the other day and my office is perched above all the, sh- the showroom. So I can overhear quite a bit of what goes on, which is nice. It's both a, a blessing and a curse. But <laughs> this person this person came in and was looking for a fireplace that they needed within the next month. That was their, they needed a linear fireplace and they needed it within the next month. Now they wanted certain glass and certain things. My salesperson says, well, let's go up and look at those appliances. And they're like, oh, do you have this in stock? And he goes, oh, I think so. I look at the spreadsheet and we didn't have in stock. He spent 30 minutes with that customer selling that fireplace. Yeah, it might have been the right fireplace and might even solve their problem if they didn't have a four-week deadline and we cannot get that product in the four weeks. It's not possible. We just wasted our time. I think that the customer's problem tells us how we have to sell and what we have to sell to them. And there's so much more than just cold, drafty room, right? Yeah. You know, it's so good. I'm just thinking about yesterday when when I was working with this business, we did an exercise and they had they had about 10 people and we split up into groups of threes. And what happened is we, we simulated a customer walking into the showroom and the salesperson had to sit down and ask that customer questions. We had a timer for five minutes. They couldn't, they, they had to keep going. They had to fill the entire five minutes. And afterwards, we asked them, what was your customer's problem? And everybody was able to identify the customer's problem at that time. But it was funny as we discussed it, we just said, you know, think about this. Like we just went for five minutes and we did it. There was groups of three. So we did it three different times. So it took about 20 minutes to do this exercise and kind of, kind of debrief on it. And I I asked the question, you know, did that five minutes go by fast or slow? And almost every single time they said it flew by. And I was like, could you have used more time to uncover their problem? And they said, yes, like I could have used an extra couple minutes. And most of the time we're going so fast. We don't take the time we need with a customer, but when you actually sit down and I mean like physically sit down in your showroom with a customer and start asking them questions, it is amazing what you find out. And by taking that extra time to uncover what their problem is, it speeds up everything else in the sales process. But I mean, Grant, you've done a lot of secret shopping with me. Totally. How many times in our secret shopping experiences have we been sat down for five minutes Never, never, not once, never. And, and, and you're always the one asking the questions. I mean, if you want to analyze a sales team member, just watch them. And if the consumer's asking all the questions and the salesperson's answering them, it's not going to work. The salesperson needs to be asking probing questions to find the solution because very often the customer doesn't even know that they have this problem and you have to articulate a solution to their problem even before they know it's their problem. And the only way you can do that is by asking an organized, a a good amount of questions to to get into it. And sometimes you can find out the problem within three or four questions and you're on your way, but there has to be an investigation to make sure that you are selling them the right thing. You know, that's exactly what we talked about is that it, it, it takes two to 10 minutes, most likely. I guarantee you can't get out in under two minutes. And frankly, Grant, in our secret shopping experiences, I don't think we've even been asked questions for two minutes most of the time. So so this is a big deal. And I'll, and I'll just to give some really practical advice, you know, remember, we're talking about step one in the showroom. We have to, we have to identify the customer's problem. I will say this, don't stand up. So if, if your showroom 
doesn't have places to sit down, literally rip out three fireplaces, go down to Home Goods or Fred Meyer or Kroger or wherever, and I'm telling you, buy two chairs with a little end table, sit them next to each other, and every single time a customer comes in, go and sit down. There's a difference. When you're standing up, it feels awkward, but when you're sitting down, especially if you ask permission, you know, hey, Grant, man, I understand that you're looking for a fireplace, but there's a lot of different options out there. Do you mind if we sit down for a minute and I just learn a little bit about your project? No rational person will say no to that, but but sitting down is a superpower. And I, I, would, I would even say it's a breath of fresh air, Tim. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but a breath of fresh air as it's a grueling task to go around and shop for fireplaces. <laughs> I think when I see customers be offered to sit down and like side by side work on a series of questions to get to what the right, they're relieved, they're excited. This is this this is what they were expecting the whole time. Yeah. Well, so after we after we sit down, we, we identify what the customer's problem is. We want to communicate that we can solve it. And I'm just going to go on this really, really quick and we're going to move on. So let's say that you identify the customer's problem is that they've got a drafty house and their their damper doesn't close all the way and, and it's really cold in their living room. So if you walk over to the wood inserts or the gas inserts, what you need to do before jumping into a product is you need to show them how your company can solve their problem. So before you even get to a product, you got to say something to the effect of, you know, hey, Grant, I, I understand that your living room is super cold because that 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 drafty fireplace and the damp are not closing. You know, this wall over here, these, these are some of our gas fireplaces. And I'm going to show you a couple different models, but I want you to know that no matter which one of these you pick, it's going to solve your problem because Perfect. when we install these, we're going to take this fireplace and we're going to slide it inside of your your brick fireplace opening and then we're going to run vent pipes up your chimney and seal the chimney completely up at the top so before you even turn this on you've already sealed that chimney off now once you do kick it on you're gonna get some really nice warmth inside of that room it's only going to cost you about a third of what it is to run your furnace what in doing that like did i did i mention a product name or a brand no I didn't even no. mention I didn't even mention the word insert. I just said you see these gas fireplaces. Yeah. But in doing that, what we're saying is I can solve your problem. So you solve the problem first yep. and then you show the product to back up what you yep. said. Okay. So we need to show and this is true with wood stoves. I mean, if literally you go over to the wood yep. stoves before you show them one. You tell them, because I mean, hey, I'm gonna show you a couple wood stoves here, and I just want you to know that that each one that I show you, you're gonna go through 40% less wood than you are right now. And I'm going to make sure that this burns overnight. So right now you're waking up at three in the morning to, you know, go load that thing up. Don't worry. Everything I show you, you're not going to need to do that anymore. Okay. So we, we solve their problem. Then we give them an estimate. And we've talked about this, like at nauseum. my belief is that every customer needs an estimate. There needs to be a simple, quick way to do this. I'm, I mean, I'm a little biased, but I, I happen to know of a simple, quick way to do it. <laughs> but the the bigger point of it is that I would recommend tracking this. In, in my business, we started tracking our door swings seven years ago or so. And if you would have asked me before that, if we wrote up a lot of estimates, I would have said yes. I would have said, yeah, we probably get, I don't know, 80, 90% of the people that come in looking at fireplaces. We started measuring it and we were down at like 17%. It was really low. And this wasn't of everybody coming into our showroom. This was just like the people coming in looking at fireplaces. So like this is like, you know, almost eight and a half out of 10 people looking at a gas insert. We were letting them walk with a brochure and a business card stapled together. And you hear that and, and you kind of laugh at it. But Grant, I mean, again, like from our secret shopping, like how many estimates have we been written up secret shopping together? I don't remember one, Tim. <laughs> I mean, not, Not once. once. Not once. Yeah. And it's amazing when customers come in, you have to think about your your expectations as a consumer. And I, I don't think we we simplify and understand like truly what a customer is looking for when they come into your showroom is a solution to their problem and they want to know how much it costs. That's it. Yep. And they walk out of so many showrooms, and this is the question. Is it 3000 Is it 10000 Is it 15000 They have zero idea. Where we think on the three bullet points of the three different prices, we told them that they've been able to put that together and they have an idea of what the price is. They don't. They have no idea. And Tim, how often have we heard salespeople even say, oh, that will be $10,000. The consumer has no idea and may just have been at a place that said that. And what if it's only $7,000 at full margin? And you quote it and they're like... I'm in, you know, and they're, they're signed on. Customers are looking for the price. We in our industry get so wrapped up in how complicated it is what we do, which 
It is complicated. It's definitely not easy. I'm not saying it is easy, but if you're not giving quotes on the showroom, you are missing out on 50% of your potential customers. I mean, no, no joke. Yeah. Uh, and it shows that you are the expert. Like the customer is looking for a guide, a resource, an expert of source, and the person that can solve their problem and give a price to it right then and there won't even be second guessed. Oh yeah, I believe that's the power of sales. Then you you have a low hook of a like a low deposit, like we do a five hundred dollar deposit, and all of a sudden the customer's locked up just like that. But I, I truly believe you have to give some type of price on the showroom. And, yeah. and Tim, we can kind of go into this, but you're okay with ballparks, aren't you? I mean, ranges. Oh, yeah. Even. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm 100% okay with the range. I mean, the, the key with the estimate is you better capture contact information, name, address, phone number, email, write them up an estimate that has, you know, XYZ insert, includes a one-story chimney kit, a basic installation, 5000 to 5500 bucks, pending in-home visit. Like what, you know, Whatever it is, I'm totally okay with that. But imagine going shopping for a car. You show up at the lot. There's no prices posted on the cars. And then you say, hey, how much does this cost? And they go, oh, well, you know, we'll send somebody out. It'll be a week and a half. And, you know, some people spend 3000 Some people spend 10000 Some people spend 7000 It just kind of depends. And you're like, <laughs> okay. Um, so I got to wait a week and a half. I mean, we've, we've, we've beat this to death. But, like, give them an estimate on the floor. Build it into your process and make it easy for your team. After that show the customer a plan, right? So if we if we show them we, we can solve their problem and we give them an estimate, the next step is just a simple plan. I love a good three-step plan, you know, so maybe you can tell your customers like, hey, Grant, oh man, I'm so glad that this fireplace insert is gonna work well for you. This is the way that most of our jobs work. Step one, before you leave today, we're gonna write you up an estimate for this fireplace. That way you've got a ballpark idea of what it's gonna cost. Second, we're going to send our estimator out to your house. They're going to take a look at everything and make sure there's nothing that got missed. Finally, step three, we're going to get that installed for you in a timely manner that works with your schedule. That simplicity of showing them a plan is unbelievably powerful because you're not just giving them a price, which is important. You are literally giving them a path to solving the problem that's been bugging them. If you stop at the price, the customer even though we think it's easy, like, oh yeah, of course they know that we're going to install it, or of course they know this. They don't. Like, when there, there, there's a fog, there's a mistiness over, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. By clarifying that in the plan, you, you all of a sudden look like an authority. You look like you've done this before. Yeah, and this 10-step execution process is all about managing expectations. And if you can, if you solve the problem, and you can give a number for the, the solution, at what how much it's going to cost them, it's absolutely vital that you give them a plan to manage their expectations, to make it easier for them to purchase from you for sure. But everybody is probably going, well, they're, if I give them a quote, they're going to hold me to that quote. We just talked about giving a quote in the showroom. And a lot of feedback we get is, well, then the customer holds you accountable to that quote. No, you document the information, you give the, the, the amount of information that you were given and you did the best you could. But when you're explaining the plan, you say, and we have someone who comes out, verifies all these. If there's any changes needed, you will be communicated to that within 24 hours or whatever your, 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 however your business runs. But it gives you a chance to set up expectations. And if you put something in writing and the reasons why, and those reasons why change on the estimate, it's a very easy conversation to explain. Why yeah, there's no arguing it. But if you do not set up those from the very beginning, it's it, it's it's he's, he said it was a thousand dollars less in the showroom. Well, I don't have any documentation of what he said or what he did. Therefore, I can't. That's not a problem. That's that's still the customer is upset with you. That's not good. So documenting it in the store, giving them a price, and then telling them why it's different is exactly what they expect. Yeah, and then finally the icing on the cake. So if we're if we're trying to identify the customer's problem and then give them a path right to solving it, the last thing we have to do this is where we pass the baton, right? Yeah. We pass the baton by completing an estimator setup form, dude. I you, like this is a hundred percent you, but like as soon as I heard you say it, I said yes, and like since then I've I've literally been making these things for clients. Like yep. this is the secret sauce. Yeah, if they're gonna go out to a consumer's home, they have to understand the journey the consumer's been on. They have to understand the problem. They have to understand how we came to the solution. They have to understand what the price is. He needs all that stuff. He needs to know every ounce of information because your goal as a sales specialist is to set him up for success. That's, that's it. Uh, and the way to do that is by having a documented way of 
passing the baton that reminds that sales specialist or support staff member that's scheduling it, everything that needs to happen and not relying on memory and have it being systematic, done the same way every time. It will change It will change the way your consumers receive the bid, change of price, and, and all that comes with that. Well, Grant, so I'm, I'm looking at this now, and, and some companies might think they have an estimator set up for them where it's like, what's their address? What's their phone number? There's some things on yours that I'd never seen before that just blew my mind. So like yours says, how was this in-home visit scheduled? Was it based on an in-store experience, based on a phone call, or based on a web inquiry? That is powerful. I am 100% okay with booking a site visit over the phone. I'm totally cool with it as long as we have done the right things to identify their problem and give them a path, which includes the bid, the, the, the preliminary bid and everything else. But that's good information for the estimator to know. The next thing that you've got here is you've got the units that they're interested in, you've got up to three. So an estimator is not going out to look at five things. And frankly, most of the time it should just be one or two, but you've got up to three units and you've got what's the name of the unit? What's the price? What's the sale price? What upgrades are they looking at? What are the upgrade prices? And then what's the total? So the estimator, and we'll talk about this more in the next episode, their job is to be a salesperson on site. We're going to talk about that in detail. And a lot of estimators get nervous about that. But if you've just clearly stated, here's the units, here's the price, here's the sale, here's the upgrades, that empowers an estimator to be able to navigate that sale and not have to think Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if there's a sale. You just have to talk to the salesperson. Yeah. And units are a big deal to me. So I don't, it, it, there, there's no estimate setup form that doesn't have a unit on it. I will go out to any web inquiry, any phone uh, inquiry uh, to set something up as long as it's been qualified. Yeah. And how, how do you, you know, if you haven't narrowed it down to a few different products as the solution, then how do you actually take the customer through a true journey? If you don't have any products on there and you just talk about a secondary combustion wood stove or let's say a catalytic wood stove, you leave it so vague. Or they just called and they're looking at a fireplace. They wanted someone out to their house. Yeah. You're just, you're going out to blue sky and what you're going to get is a bunch of confusion and you're not going to get a happy customer experience. You have to be confident in that your sales team can narrow down over the phone, whether it's through email, to certain products. But don't just send a customer out there for a direct vent gas insert without understanding so many things. And truthfully, by by just simply requiring that a product be listed in this fashion, at least one, but no more than three, is helped our, our sales staff focus on that solution, right? I mean, they have to get a product on there. And the only way they can do it is by solving the problem. 100%. And then you don't want to overdo it. If you're, if you're talking about three or four or five options, <sighs> like we got to narrow it down a little bit more. Um, that makes it really difficult. And, and you have to think about the customer. I mean, how many times have you went out to a customer's house where they've said, I thought this remote control controlled the flame up and down. Yeah. But it's a standing pilot model. It only turns the unit off and on. If you send someone out there to sell gas inserts, he's talking about standing pilot IPI. You never have a chance to reiterate that conversation. But if you have that conversation in the showroom prior to going out there and you send them out there with the standing pilot model, then the consumer's saying, gosh, I'm really excited for this flame to modulate up and down. Your estimator can say, whoa, I have a standing pilot model on here. Are you sure that this is the model you want? Let me explain the differences between the two and just make sure we're quoting you exactly what you're expecting. If you rely on the estimator to do that, you will end up shooting yourself in the foot more times than not because they're out there to get so many things right. The solution uh, has to be communicated not once, but twice. And they're out there the second time to verify the solution and make sure it's the right one. Yeah. A couple other things on your estimator form that are really good. Sales notes. And this is where you talked earlier about the story. So like a great story might be, hey, Grant, you're going to be going out to Bob and, and Jane Smith's house. They came into the showroom on Friday. They were really interested in XYZ gas insert. It was a little bit expensive and they've been looking at this competitive model. So we also bid out this XYZ option that's a little bit less. They were going on vacation to Hawaii and wanted to try to get this taken care of beforehand. So there's definitely a sense of urgency when it comes to our availability versus our competitors. That's a great story to set up that estimator. Or, or you know, because... 
whatever the problem is for the customer needs to be communicated. In this case, right, they're, they're going to Hawaii, they want it to get done, it's a time constraint. The other thing that you have on here is all these boxes to check of like what kind of a customer are they? Contemporary, traditional, designer, standing pilot. Uh, I mean, you, you can go down the list of them, yeah. but you've got, yeah, budgetary, high-end, picky. You've got all these different boxes to check. And, and, and this estimator setup form starts to yep. tell a complete story. Yep. I mean, I when I was doing the estimates, I remember thinking through all these things, and and honestly, like I mean, wondering where the knowing if it's a uh, in store bid, a phone bid, or web bid might seem not that important, but any estimator that is listening to this will will know the importance. It builds up an understanding of what this customer has went through. You're not talking about you saw it in the showroom, you saw it in the showroom, you saw no, they didn't see it in the showroom. They called over the phone. They saw it on the website. They, they haven't been taken through it. You need to, if, if you know it's an in-store or web inquiry, you have to ask if they've been in the showroom. And then you got to say, you know what you really need to do? After this estimate, go through it, see where you're at, come in and review it and look through all these products again, because you have to see them, touch them and fill them in order to make this purchase worth it to you. But you have to be in the know. Uh, the the boxes to be checked are just reminders. Who is this customer? What are they looking at? What type of customer on there? So if I do have to change product, guess what? I'm taking those things into consideration. It's hard to remember everything in your story. It's so good, man. Okay, so you heard it. The 10 step execution process, we just hit step one in the showroom. The goal of step one is to identify the customer's problem and then give them a path to solve it. You use the estimator setup form to pass the baton. In the next episode, we are going to talk about step two and most likely step three as well. Grant, thanks so much for being here, man. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Grant Falco. I get super excited about this. As, as we start to go through the different steps in the process, what, what I love to think about is that when we look intentionally at, at the holistic process, but each specific step. I mean, I don't know if you can, I can just, I can feel the tides changing in our businesses. By looking at this from a high level, now we can start to get around problems, right? There's two ways to overcome a problem. If you're, let's say you're running up, up into a brick wall, you can either continue to bang your head against that brick wall until it breaks, but man, there might be some collateral damage with that. Or you can take a few steps back and look at it and think, you know what, I can walk five feet to the right and I can just move past this brick wall as opposed to banging my head against the wall because I'm so close to it. So that's what having this process does. Now, a couple things that I want to hit. Number one, like we mentioned in, in the conversation at the beginning, you know, if you're a company that's been doing this for 30 years and you, you know, your installers get out to the job site and you're missing that piece of vent pipe. I mean, hey, mistakes happen. So I'm not saying that like, even like, Grant's company is perfect at this, but if it's happening again and again and again, there's an answer to that problem. There's just, there is, there's an answer to that problem. And it has to do with step six of the process, which is how we receive and stage our jobs for installation. We'll get to that in a little bit. If, if your installers get out to the job site and the customer says, Hey, there was a salesperson said there'd be a remote control on this. And they look at the paperwork. There's not a remote control. My goodness, there's an answer to that problem. And it has to do with steps one and three in the showroom, but especially at step three, the sales follow-up, when the salesperson calls to review the order completely before moving on. So as we go through this series, I hope what you can see is that while, while this isn't going to guarantee that all of your problems go away, there's still going to be plenty of problems in your business. This gives you a rubric to identify the problem and do something about it. It's an interconnected chain. And seriously, like when something doesn't go well on step two, it is pretty hard to recover when you get to step seven. When that baton is dropped, it's it's dropped. So what I'd like to finish this episode talking about is that idea of in the showroom. I want to just highlight a couple things super quick. You know, thinking about it, when a customer's in the showroom, I love the simplicity of this. You know, our job as a salesperson is to identify their problem and give them a path to solve it. Now we've talked in the past, you can go back and listen to the episodes that we've had on the sales process. And that is a arduous process because there's a lot of things involved with it. But at the core, when that customer walks in, they've got a problem. No one walks into a fireplace store without a problem. And our job as a salesperson is not to sell them product. It is not to tell them the story of our business 
The job of a salesperson in the showroom is to identify the customer's problem and give them a path to solve it, period. Now, this is a really big deal. And and literally, I, I just got off an airplane yesterday from a trip to the Midwest, and I was working with this company in Ohio that I mentioned in, in the episode here. And what was so cool about it is that this is a family business with a lot of brothers and sisters. They're a great company. And we we beat this to death. I mean, we we literally had had there was 10 brothers and sisters and we broke into threes. And and like I said before, in the conversation, we were in the showroom talking with the customer and trying to identify what their problem was. And they've been around for a long time. They're a successful business. And when I left, I I asked everybody, what was the most impactful thing? We talked for about four hours and it wasn't, it wasn't just about, about being in the showroom. And, and one of, one of the brothers of the company said it was that everything is about understanding the customer's problem. And, and I was like, you're exactly right. Like everything is about it. You know, a customer could come in and say they want a wood stove and we could try to sell them a wood stove. But at the end of the day, if it's not right for them, if it doesn't solve their problem, even though we could sell that to them, it's going to go badly. Now, giving them a path is absolutely huge because for a customer, you think about this, like if you identify that this product can solve their problem, well, they don't know what to do next, right? And, and because we're hearth experts, we think like, oh, okay, I'm going to write you up an estimate or, oh, you know what? We're going to send someone out to your house or, hey, let me take a deposit on this. Oh, let me get your address. But for a customer that hasn't done this before, they're nervous walking into the showroom. They think that we're a used car lot and they don't want to get taken advantage of. So when we say these things without putting it in the context of how it solves their problem, their defense mechanisms come up and they think, no, 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 no. I just got to get out of here. So when you can give them a path, right, this is the part of our sales process that we call giving the customer a plan where you say, hey, step one, we're going to get you an estimate written up for your fireplace. Step two, we'll send someone out to take a look at it. And then step three, we'll get that installed. It actually doesn't matter what the plan is, as long as it's simple steps that the customer can clearly see if I do this, then this, then this, I'm going to solve my problem. And it makes the call to action so easy. It really does. It, it makes it very, very simple. And what you can do then is, hey, you know, step one, we're going to get you that estimate. Step two, we'll come out to the house. Step three, we'll install it. Let's get you that estimate written up. It's a very non-threatening way to call the customer to action because you're laying your cards on the table. Hey, here's, I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. It's really, really powerful. To end things, I'll tell you that that estimator setup form is absolutely huge. It's so big. As, as we've made this for customers, I, I, I can't tell you the clarity that it provides an estimator. It sets them up to know the story, to know the problem that the customer has that they're going out to solve. And we're going to talk about this in detail next week. Grant's got an amazing story when he was an estimator about going out to look at a job where the, the salesperson had, had gotten it to the point where the customer wanted to buy this product, but when Grant went out there, it actually wasn't the solution for their problem. And as, as we use that estimator form, it alerts us to red flags of, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the right solution for their problem. So with that in mind, you know my hope for you is that as you go through this series, you and, and your team hopefully can listen to it and have a conversation and, and literally like map this process out on your whiteboard and start to assign people to it. Talk about, okay, how do we pass the baton from step one to step two, from step two to step three? This is powerful and, and I hope you get a lot out of it. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. Now, for the rest of this season, like I said, we're going to be hitting this 10-step execution process really hard. And then after that, we'll be talking with miscellaneous guests and the remaining team members of the Firetime magazine. And my hope, I've just been so encouraged as I've been traveling and people have literally been saying like, when's the podcast coming back? Like you, you took the summer off and you know, that's how we do it, right? We, we, we have a season every year starting on the Tuesday after Labor Day and then that will run generally, you know, 12 to 15, 16 episodes. And then we have another season that starts on the Tuesday after our annual trade show. The reason that we do that is uh, I found with a weekly podcast, it would be 
incredibly difficult to always be motivated and to always have relevant content. And so what I love is the idea of doing a season where we can kind of look at it and say, what do we want to accomplish? Do we want it to be, you know, 12 episodes or 15 or 16, but it's up to us and we frame it based on the content as opposed to like, oh man, what are we going to do for this week? We got to get something out there. So people have asked about that and, and that's the reason that we do it this way. My hope for this season is that you get incredible value out of this execution process and the remaining episodes with our Firetime Magazine team members. So as you guys go out today, remember that, that this is going to be a difficult year. I mean, it's already getting hard. I think it's going to get harder. But the businesses that are willing to look at themselves and their processes differently are going to be the ones that win. So I hope you have an amazing rest of the week. The work that you are doing matters, and I'm just honored to be a part of your journey. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, And the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.